Hello, and welcome to another episode of Scientology Fair Game. Hello, Mike. Hello, Lee. How are you today? <laughs> I'm okay. I, I should warn you. It is that time. And oh, I no. think that you should put it on your calendar as well. Everybody okay. listening. Okay. Just in case I get ugly at, for no reason. <laughs> well, in my mind, justified. <laughs> Completely. All right. Well, uh, that might have been too much information, but I do think it's a I, I do think it's a worthwhile disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, for my own protection, I will not argue with you. Great. Well, you don't need okay. to argue with me. You just need to be breathing, and that we find that annoying at this time All right. of the month. Yeah, anyway, we have a very special you. guest with us today. <laughs> We do indeed, and Mr. Ford I Green. Hello, uh, hi Ford. Hey, how are you? Hey, hey, should we call you Mayor or Councilman? Like, is uh, that, no, is that no, a, no, a title no. that carries over? <laughs> you, you can reference it, but it's uh, too much verbiage. <laughs> single, single syllable name is fine. Ford. All right, Ford. Um. Well, welcome, Ford. You know, I've known you for a long time. Uh, I used to be on the other side of the equation from you when you were a lawyer representing various people against Scientology, most notably Lawrence Wallersheim and Jerry Armstrong. And I think right. I met you first when you were representing Jerry uh, either in San Francisco at somebody at some lawyer's office or up there in Marin County near where you live but and your job mike was to destroy ford and the people that he was representing at the time against the church of scientology correct? yes i'm so glad you always remind me of that <laughs> well hey mike Listen, you earned i it. don't want people to think <laughs> i don't exactly ford i don't want people to think that i'm soft on your past mike as well myself ah, but i okay. certainly wasn't going after people in the way that you were, but I understand, Mike, that was your job as, as a, a Sea Org member, and also I had my job as a Scientologist. Well, you know, Mike, it might have been, it, it might have been in 1993 during uh, one of those interminable deposition sessions of Jerry Armstrong uh, on the day that the IRS issued its decision uh, granting religious status to Scientology. It might have been in that, I think it was in that area of era that we probably first met yeah that may be that doesn't ring a bell for me Ford. but regardless yeah, okay. i i've I mean, known you, guys you for a long time all, all look the same ganged up there on the other side of the table <laughs> <laughs> well i must say you always look different you didn't look like any other attorney that represented anybody against Scientology. Right. I remember you with your feet up on the on the conference room desk in uh, with your shoes off in uh, some lawyer's office in San Francisco. What was the name of that guy? Uh, that was probably Andy Wilson. Yes, Andy Wilson's office. Yeah. That's exactly right. And and Ford, you always you always had a. Um, an aura about you or a, uh, an attitude about you that was very, you know what? I don't give a fuck. And Mike, <laughs> was that different? Can I ask you a question, Mike? Was that different from the other lawyers that were dealing with you in Scientology at the time? 
Yes. Well, it was certainly different from the lawyers on our side. I mean, we had the most buttoned up, proper prim and white shoe law firms that you can possibly imagine. You know, typically lawyers, even those representing plaintiffs who were suing Scientology, mm-hmm. tend to be um, very proper about how they go about doing things. And it's all like a lot of formalities right. and hi there and, you know, shaking hands and all like this kind of, uh, there is a, a collegial atmosphere Mm -hmm. amongst lawyers, no matter which side of the equation they're on, Mm -hmm. you know, and Ford was a man of his own mold. He walked in like, he wasn't like anybody else. He wasn't paying, you know, paying great deference to any other lawyers, whether they were on our side or on the, the, you know, the anti-Scientology side, he didn't really seem to care too much about what anybody else thought about him. His only mm-hmm. care was what happens in this lawsuit and am I going to be able to win it? Right. And am I going to be able to effectively uh, defend if it was a someone who was attacking or bringing a lawsuit against Scientology, they were defending themselves constantly from the assaults that we would manage to bring against them, even if they were plaintiffs. Right. And Ford's interest was in that, not in the decorum of things. And that's what sort of always set him apart. And frankly, there were some lawyers that, even lawyers on the other side that I sort of, I like I had to smile at Ford and kind of felt uh, a sort of respect for him because of that. Like right. he was a guy that walked in and was a sole practitioner in a single man law firm in you know Marin County, California, who was taking on the biggest law firms and one of the the most litigious uh organizations in the history of litigation mm-hmm. and he was unaffected by that and right, that's right. that's really what i mean he was yeah. not intimidated not cowed not anything and you know it, it was sort of something that stood out about him from the outset and something that i I, I just enjoyed his sense of humor, frankly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, 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 and Ford, uh, won his cases against Scientology, correct? Uh, he did a damn good job. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he, he didn't bring, uh, most of these cases. I'll let him talk about the cases that he was involved in, but he sort of came in to a number of them as after they had been started and helped take them to conclusion or helped represent Jerry Armstrong. He wasn't one of Armstrong's original lawyers in his lawsuit in Los Angeles, but came in when Scientology was going after Armstrong. This might be the period talking, Mike, but I just, what I'm trying to get is that fucking Ford won the cases against Scientology, whether he was the lead lawyer or not. He won. Not all of them. Um, not all of them, because you, you, you kind of have to take your plaintiffs and your clients as you find them. And right. so, some of them had, you know, uh, defects that ultimately expressed themselves that you couldn't overcome. 
but the, but the people that were solid uh, and who truly had been harmed by Scientology, and there were many, yeah. uh, th- those people uh, then you know that that part was covered. The the harm part was covered, and the having the balls to be able to stand up and face Scientology and not not cower, not run, uh, was covered. And so then what was left was dealing effectively with Scientology, Scientology's constitutional defenses. And right. uh, along with the, uh, really with the Mormon church, uh, Scientology was uh, at the uh, vanguard of developing very effective um, First Amendment-based defensive justifying conduct ultimately that was not justifiable, uh, but unless you had a lawyer who was smart enough and who could come up with uh, effective responses, the constitutional defenses carried so much inherent threat that uh, more often than not, uh, judges uh, would tend to go for them and uh, take Scientology off the hook when it deserved to be uh, all the way on the hook. Well, I hear you. And I, w- I want to get into something with you, for because not many lawyers uh, are, are willing to, to get into uh, a courtroom with Scientology. But you, you are one of the few who, who has and, and who has won in a substantial uh, lawsuit. <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. But I want to talk a little bit about your history, which I think contributes to, to a why of, of uh, would you agree? <laughs> Oh yes, no. Yeah. I it's uh, but for uh, my personal experience uh, being brainwashed by a cult, uh, the the Moonies, uh, I never would have been a lawyer. Uh, it was only in consequence of being brainwashed, uh, then uh, walking out of the Moonies after eight months of of brainwashing, and then uh, taking a year to deprogram myself. Uh, and then after having liberated myself from the uh, psychological intimidation of being educated to believe that I was inherently an evil person and, and being liberated to find out, no, no, I wasn't. I was so pissed off that I went, no way this shit's going to happen in my country. And how are you going to stop it, either in the legislature or the courts? And if you're going to play in either arena, you got to be a lawyer. And I'm going to law school. So I went to law school. What happened next was that after I had deprogrammed myself and was uh, f- was free of this uh, psychic intimidation, I saw the guys were making money deprogramming, and this was back in the heyday in the in the mid seventies. And so I went, hell, I'll try my hand at it. And so I was I was good at it. And so I participated. Uh, in you know going in and and locking the door in order to be ha- in order to have a direct kind of Socratic spiritual conversation where the person couldn't run away rather rather than than talk right. and was sufficiently effective at that uh, that when I started to go to law school I was the subject of uh, a lot of surveillance and death threats and harassment. Uh, to try to drive me out of law school. And there were times where uh, the whatever persons were, were doing that were almost succeeded in, in bullying me out. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I kind of had my Martin Luther King moment and figured that uh, if what I had to say was so valuable that people were threatening to kill me to try to shut me up, uh, I ought to, ought to stick to it. 
And, and so I did. And then did you, uh, in 1988, you, uh, you want to talk about that or do we? Sure. Did I, so, yeah, so okay. I was admitted to practice in, in 1983. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, right away I was in the, in the midst of anti-cult litigation because of, uh, who my boss was, was a civil rights lawyer named Carl Shapiro, uh, who practiced here in San Anselmo. Uh, and, uh, he, uh, despite being, I mean, he was a, a, a board member of the San Francisco chapter of the ACLU, and the ACLU had taken a very strong pro-cult position, uh, saying that deprogramming violated uh, the free exercise rights of, of cult members, and mm -hmm. the deprogrammers, they were the ones that they were the real brainwashers because they used force to uh, recapture cult members and, and in order to then deprogram them. And despite the ACLU having taken that position, uh, Carl recognized uh, cult indoctrination for what it was and assisted parents in obtaining ex parte conservatorship from, from courts, authorizing them to uh, legally recapture or, or kidnap uh, their cult affiliated kids in order to deprogram them. And so uh, I worked in, because of that, I worked in, in Carl's office. And so he passed a case to me uh, that ultimately I was able to persuade the California Supreme Court to accept. And then uh, I was able to successfully persuade the court uh, that uh, the Mooney's practice of using deception in order to put somebody in a position where he or she could be brainwashed or subjected to uh, the techniques of brainwashing uh, without their knowledge or, or consent and then uh, be made into obedient members uh, was not protected activity uh, under the free exercise clause of the First Amendment and that the group responsible for participating in that kind of uh, conduct uh, could be li held liable under theories of fraud, uh, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and other causes of action. And so and that it, was huge because huge. And, uh, and I mean, this was was this same tactic used against well for uh, I shouldn't say against uh, was this used in the Scientology cases the same yeah. theories. Well, see, see, Scientology, not only, I mean, they, it's, it's true that they had the top shelf button down lawyers, as Mike was describing, but they also had some very, very uh, brilliant people. And in particular, uh, Eric Lieberman out in New York, uh, Eric was just, man, he had the, the, the First Amendment arguments just down pat. And he had originally worked with a uh, uh, civil rights lawyer in New York named Jeremiah Gutman and had come up with the original theories uh, that justified uh, what the California Supreme Court ultimately concluded was, was brainwashing. Uh, and and their, their argument basically was that since, when, when, when somebody claimed to have been brainwashed, the, the, the Gutman and Lieberman argument was uh, ultimately what that would require would be for a court or a jury to determine whether or not the ideology that had been inculcated into a person's mind uh, was true or false. And when 
that occurs in a religious context, uh, that's what's called a heresy trial. And that's forbidden by the First Amendment. So, so Eric and, and, um, and Gutman, Lieberman and Gutman, uh, came up with this argument saying, you know, that, that allegations of brainwashing cannot be passed on or not justiciable uh, by any, any court or jury. And that was what I was able to reverse in the, in the Molko case. Uh, and then that would apply to Scientology, but it was also, it was really the posture of saying, listen, just because you say you're a religion doesn't mean you are a religion. And even if you are a religion, you don't get a pass and can't act like a destructive asshole uh, without any sort of check or any sort of balance. And so I was able to come up with the arguments that would uh, rebut the arguments that, uh, that Lieberman would come up justifying Scientology's misconduct. I mean, for example, uh, in the Wallersheim case, uh, one of the when, when we were going to collect uh, the judgment that Charlie O'Reilly had won in, I think, 1986, it had been a 90-day jury trial, and O'Reilly had walked out with a $30 million punitive damages award against Scientology on behalf of Wallersheim. And so Scientology kept kept the ball up in the Court of Appeal for close to 20 years. And ultimately, <laughs> when it came back down to the trial court, uh, the church, the defendant, Church of Scientology of California, which at the time uh, Wallersheim brought the lawsuit, uh, was worth 500 million bucks, had divested itself of all of its assets. So Wallersheim had, a, had a, the opportunity to go collect his punitive damages award, which at that point had been reduced uh, to, uh, I think it was like $3 million or a million and had Wait, so this took 2.5. You were litigating this for 20 years? Uh, close to it. I think it was 19 years. Uh, it was 80, 86 <laughs> when the jury award came out. And then we didn't collect, I don't think until, I think it was 2002, uh, that ultimately we, we were able to collect it. Um, and so the, but, but how it kind of, you know, you have to take these cases where, where they're at and, and where the, the issues came up. And so when the case came back down to the trial court and it was clear that it was not collectible because um, CSC, Church of Scientology of, of California, had divested itself of all of its assets, it was like, how are we going to collect the money? Right. And so I came up with this theory of an alter ego theory for judgment debtor collection and saying, listen, the C org controls all of Scientology. Mm -hmm. So we want to, to, to plead in as, as judgment debtors, solvent Scientology Corporation, CSI, Church of Scientology International, mm -hmm. uh, CST, Church of Scientology, uh, what spiritual technology, mm -hmm. uh, and RTC religious technology corporations. So that, those were the ones that, that had the money. And so in order to prove uh, whether or not they, they, we could go after them, we had to establish that there was no effective difference between any of these corporations. And right. the way that you do that is, is by looking to the Sea Org and looking to the structure of the Sea Org and looking to Miscavige's position uh, at the top of the Sea Org and, and, and convince a judge 
that that there's no difference. And so these other solvent corporations ought to be able to come into the lit be brought into the litigation in the place of Church of Scientology of California and and pay the money. And so Lieberman came up with these arguments saying, well, listen, you know, the 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 Sea Org governs Scientology, but it's an ecclesiastical uh, body. And since, since it's an ecclesiastical body, you as a court and a judge can't touch it. And so- And Mike, uh, this that, was all purposeful. Mike, Mike, I could see you grinning. Now, uh, and people can't- Mike now, knows this, this stuff. Right. But Mike, I just want you to interject here because I know this is very purposeful, right? And you, you, had, you guys had to have been impressed- with with Ford's ability to sift through, you know, Scientology's bullshit and your bullshit of, of setting up these other entities as if to seem as though they were separate, but they were not, right, Mike? And they are not. They they are they are separate as a legal fiction. Sure. They right. are not separate in reality. Right and. The, the truth of the matter is that Ford is exactly right. The mm -hmm. control of all Scientology entities that yeah. are, are placed there for the benefit of courts and the IRS, et cetera, et cetera, is the C organization. The C organization right. is the controlling body that oversees everything that happens in Scientology. And the head of the C organization is David Miscavige. And if you're in a particular corporate entity in Scientology, whether it's Church of Scientology International or Church of Spiritual Technology or Religious Technology Center or any one of the other dozens of them, you still answer to the Sea Org. And if David Miscavige snaps his fingers and says, CST, I want you to spend $50 million building another mansion for L. Ron Hubbard, dead L. Ron, they will build it. And it's because of his authority as the head of the Sea Org and the most senior official in Scientology, the ecclesiastical leader. It, what Eric Lieberman said is actually true. It is the ecclesiastical. It is the ecclesiastical, meaning church, control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't be listened to or it's outside the scope of a court. Right. Look, yep. this is the entire subject that that Ford dis, uh, you know had such a breakthrough with the Molko case, but we are now witnessing with this craziness of courts saying that Scientology religious arbitration, quote unquote, mm -hmm. can't be looked into by the courts. Right. And Eric Lieberman is still the lawyer who is arguing for Scientology and convincing judges that they cannot possibly allow anybody to, to uh, bring something before a court where the Scientology lawyers can say, but Your Honor, you're not allowed to look into, you can't pass judgment on that. That's an ecclesiastical matter. A committee of evidence is an ecclesiastical body. You can't delve into that. You can't decide whether that's a good arbitration process or not. And I, I, it's funny that, that, you know, Ford uh, sent me one of these cases that I had forgotten all about where 
the court in in one of the Wallersheim litigations had said uh, and used the example of, look, you can't say that every religious expression is worthy of constitutional protection. The Inquisition was a core religious practice. Mm -hmm. And you can't tell us that people couldn't have sued for being tortured in the Inquisition. Obviously they could. And I found that so funny because three days ago, I wrote another article on my blog about this arbitration bullshit and said, hey, calling calling a committee of evidence religious arbitration is like the Catholic Church calling the Spanish Inquisition religious education. Of course a court can look into this. Of course a court can pass judgment on it. Otherwise, religions have free reign to do anything they want and walk back when they get sued and walk back into court and say, oh, Your Honor, I'm sorry, you can't do anything about well, this. Well, that's exactly what has been happening with Scientology. Of course. And, yeah. this is, and this is Ford's point. Eric Lieberman is a brilliant lawyer. Right. He is a brilliant lawyer. He is a brilliant, brilliant lawyer who has managed to you know, inure Scientology from virtually all all oversight by mm-hmm. courts. Right. <laughs> like courts the courts aren't even allowed to to question. And one of the things that that really gets missed, and I, I think the the uh, the the lawyers for victims must be missing this in in making their arguments. Um, the religious clauses of the First Amendment, there are two of them. Uh, one is the free exercise clause uh, that, that says that you know, governments cannot uh, interfere with the free exercise of religion. Uh, and so th- that's been translated out to, to, by courts to say that uh, the government cannot question the truth or validity of religious belief, but it, it can re- regulate uh, religious conduct for the health and safety of, of citizens. So that, that's one part. And then the other part is less well understood called the Establishment Clause, which really means the Anti-Establishment Clause. And uh, what that says is, is that, uh, I think the language of the First Amendment is, is that uh, the, the government cannot establish a, re- a religion. And what that means is that you cannot, you cannot take the source of authority that's exercised by religion and combine it with the source of authority that's exercised by the state, uh, you, you can't put them together because it's the, too much harm. That is what happened in the Spanish Inquisition. You had the, the combination of the sources of authority of, of religion and state telling people, if you don't believe this way, uh, we're going we're gonna to burn you at the stake or we're going to torture you or, or do any other number right. of things to you. Right. Now you take those principles and you apply them to what we're talking about uh, about so-called religious arbitration. And, and I mean, first off, you guys know that a committee of evidence is a completely arbitrary body, and it has nothing to do with any sort of, no. of justice None. at all. Right. But what you have now are people who have been hurt by Scientology, who, while they have been psychologically psychologically coerced by Scientology, have signed agreements 
where they commit that if they have any bitch against Scientology, it's going to be submitted to Scientology, Scientology's internal arbitration uh, entity, which is a committee of, of evidence. Well, and no, then there is no, there is no arbitration. There is only what you're saying, a committee of evidence. And that is right. not in any way, shape or form an arbitration no, uh, that's as right. people and, understand it. And yes. that's an important distinction because yes. all of this stuff has to do with, with language. And if yes. you don't sufficiently define the yeah. words that you're using, uh, lawyers like Lieberman are masters at, at weasel wording, our, right. our masters at, at using language that appears to be uh, benign for right. really malevolent purposes. And, right. and this is currently exhibit A. And yeah. so the, the current situation where you have courts enforcing clauses in Scientology contracts requiring people to go to committee of evidences is using the power of the state to enforce religious edicts and yes. thus violate the anti-establishment clause. And yes. judges all over the place are getting this wrong. I mean, I'm shocked at, at looking at, at some of them. I don't pay that much attention anymore. I've been out of um, litigating it against Scientology for be the better part of 15 years. But I, you know, I keep up a little bit and I, I see it and it just blows my mind because it's completely removing the right to redress, which is another part of the First Amendment. Right. I mean, right. it's amazing because Scientology uses the religious clauses to, to enforce their, uh, their tenets and, of course. and their ideology to <laughs> yes. violate all the other protected aspects of, of free speech, freedom of assembly, assembly, the right to redress, and, and things like that. Right. Well, it, it also, Ford, is actually in violation of the free exercise clause too, because these people are no longer Scientologists, and yet they are being ordered by a court to participate in a Scientology ritual. And it right. is a Scientology ritual. It is, a, it is an actual procedure that you have to go through, and it's terrible. It's a horrible thing, and any Scientologist who's ever been before a committee of evidence will tell you this is a this is like a, a nightmare. Your worst nightmares come true, and now Scientology has gone before. Here's what really happened: the first case of this that where it really came up was in the Garcia case, where they were suing for return of their funds, and the the clause that or the the paragraph of the enrollment agreement says you will agree to submit yourself to Scientology religious arbitration so I said to to Garcia's lawyers there's no such thing this is just a made-up term religious arbitration arbitration the word does not exist in Scientology it was just put into this contract by Bill Drescher and right and he put it in there because he was smart enough to go, well, courts love arbitration. This will be a great block to people. They're going to have to go in there and argue that, you know, whatever about the arbitration, that'll delay things even further. So it'll be fine. Even if we can't ever get anybody to agree because there's no such thing. Eric Lieberman then showed up in Tampa and put forth the argument that we do have a procedure for an arbitration. And I'm like, you do? 
I never heard of it. No one's ever done one. There's never been a religious arbitration in the history of Scientology. They said, oh, it's up to the international justice chief to determine what the rules will be. And the judge kind of went, huh? So you mean you don't really have? Oh, yes, we do. Okay, well, I'd like to see them. Oh, here they are. They're a committee of evidence. And I'm like <laughs> going through this committee of evidence saying, you know, this isn't a media, this isn't arbitration, this isn't arbitration, this, this is proven, guilty until proven innocent, here is what, you're charged with crimes, you're this, you're that, you are answerable to a higher authority, blah, 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 all of these things that are not arbitration-like, because everybody gets in their mind arbitration oh i know what that is right and and the judges sit there and go oh yeah arbitration like the american arbitration association a retired judge is going to sit and hear evidence and make an impartial decision about who's nope. right and wrong <laughs> no <laughs> what's what's really interesting about that is like everything in scientology like l ron hubbard said if if it's not written it's not real and right. and as as you know i mean the, the scientology's got tome after tome after tome of these these huge like bible-sized books of with all these rules and, and and regulations including all the rules and regulations for what a committee of arbitration is and when you go Evidence. into and you start extracting all of that language and analyzing all of that language you start to see how loaded the situation is towards the side of the leadership of scientology and it's it's there's nothing fair and nothing impartial about it at all. And that's where Lieberman will come in and say, oh, Mr. Judge or Mrs. Judge, you can't look at this stuff because this is all ecclesiastical. This right. is all how we govern ourselves. And fortunately, um, I was able to to rebut that stuff by relying on the inherently uh unfair nature and i mean just extreme all of that stuff in i mean the starting with the scientology dictionary and then going into the the green books and the the red books i can't remember exactly what their their names are but it, they're just loaded with material that's inherently unfair and so you start putting that in in front of a court and the court's gonna gonna be offended by it unless lieberman is able to say listen you can't look at this you can't even question it because this is how we govern ourselves and you can you mr judge can't interfere with our self governance except uh if except for for when uh the self government is is coercive or fraudulent courts then can and so is it's simply a matter of figuring out how to organize the material under the proper headings and that's where i was really good and was able to whip Lieberman's ass time and time again uh, because he's, his arguments really weren't on the side of reality. They were on the right. side of Scientology, but sure. not, in, not in terms of what was uh, genuine and authentic. But all that language is awesome. So, Mike, I'm curious, man, because yeah. I've never been able to ask you, um, what kind of operations were you aware of when you were the head of, of uh, what it, it, it was OSA, right? Office of Special Affairs um, yeah, yeah. that were that were being run 
against me because I had just, oh my God, man, every time I turned around, I had another state bar complaint or a criminal investigation or somebody, you know, some employee that, that, uh, that somebody that a Scientology agent had compromised or U- Eugene Ingram was going around to all the older ladies in, in Ross where I grew up, a you know, very blue chip community in Marin County trying to uh, conducting a noisy investigation. Were you aware of any of that stuff? Well, sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm not sure that I was aware of everything Ford, but certainly you as a prominent lawyer representing the people that you represented were a, a primary target of the Office of Special Affairs. So yeah. that you that you qualified for Gene Ingram treatment meant you were way up there on the top of the list. Like Gene Ingram was was hitman number one on the private investigator side of Scientology. He was right. the big bad boogeyman who was sent after Michael Flynn and you and I, you know, I don't remember who else, but there was always O'Reilly. O'Reilly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Charlie O'Reilly. Yeah. There was always Ford programs to find and compromise everybody like you programs that were executed by the local head of the special affairs department, Jeff Kiros or whoever it was back then to find disgruntled former clients of yours and get them to bring bar complaints to, to send people in to try and get them to find something wrong with how you treated them in your business, uh, you know, or, Find a woman who, you know, you had gone out with and get her to spill the beans on what a dirty, sneaky, rotten sex criminal you were. Like, whatever, anything, anything and everything to come up with discreditable information or information that could be used to bring a bar complaint against you or get someone to sue you or get a bad media article about you. That was being looked for and and worked on constantly. I'm sure yeah. that your garbage was taken and people were going through your trash and filtering yep. through to find anything in there that could be used. And you know, the the infamous D line, that's what that's called, the D line for dustbin, because it's a <laughs> that's a carryover from the Guardian's office, and that's what they call it in England, a dustbin. Yeah. So this this is stuff that was I'm sure that there were people sent into your office yeah. and you know to spy on you. I you know I know that you mentioned one time this guy Gary Scarf. Gary Scarf was one of these people who sort of fluttered around. On one minute he was pro Scientology, on one minute he was anti Scientology, and then he'd be like he was a. a a sort of a free agent uh, guy who would come and try and sell information to OSA. Like he'd go off and then he'd come in and say, Oh, do you know, I found out this and that blah, blah, blah. So there were people, there were things like that that were happening all the time. If I could interject one thing, Mike, what, what Ford needs to understand is that we as Scientologists were not mentally sound with what we were doing, right? So we were 
brainwashed, Mike was brainwashed, and had the mentality that you are fair game. And anybody inside, uh, opposing the practices of Scientology were to be utterly destroyed by any means. So, I mean, I could honestly look back on 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 the activities that you know that that Mike was involved in, that the Scientology is currently involved in a fair game, and say, I don't think what you're saying is is untrue, Ford. But what they are doing now is that they are they are taking people who are you know from maybe uh, uh, certain other front groups of Scientology who went to Scientology who are dealing with mental illness. And they're having PIs hire those people to follow people to fair game them so that they can say, "Look, we had nothing to do with that." Right. Um, and I do believe that's happening yeah. now. But but I I can't say for that that you're not talking about a group of unstable people uh, who were dealing with mental illness uh, present day. Uh, but but that Scientologists are people who who do need help. Well, uh, no, of help. course, I mean. You know, I I worked as a deprogrammer for uh, a number of years, and so mm. I'm I'm familiar with, you know, how locked up uh, a person's point of view can can be, and it's ultimately a, a fear based uh, uh, procedure where uh, you scare the shit out of somebody uh, in, in Scientology that they're what is it that they're among is it it's a, what is it Mike that twenty percent of the human beings are are suppressive persons. And then yes. of that 20%, 2% are irredeemable. So, you know, as a Scientologist, you're constantly scared shitless that, you know, you're going to be audited and it's going to be de determined that you're among the 2% of people that are absolutely hopeless. Well, no, the, the defining factor in whether or not Scientologists believe that you should literally be alive on this planet is this one fact. If you are speaking out against Scientology, they believe you do not deserve to live. Right. Period. Right. Period. You know, that's the essence of the of the fair game policy. Uh, but yes. then, you know, I mean, that's the that's the bottom line. So it's you know, it's the objectification of the enemy. And if you as soon as you objectify an enemy and you make him or her less than human, uh, then someone who's less than human isn't is not deserving of humane treatment and you know you can uh, decapitate them or do whatever else you need to do in order to vindicate uh your religious values i mean that's the uh, principles of fundamentalism exactly. that are all over the world <laughs> and that's, that's what exactly we're dealing right. with when we're dealing with scientology and fair game yes period yeah i, I and, and you know ford i say that and I think that I am right about this. In most religions, you have a fringe, which is the fundamentalist fringe. Like you have fringe fundamentalist Christians and fringe fundamentalist Muslims and fringe fundamentalist Jews. They're out in, uh, you know, far out on the edges of these mainstream religions. Scientologists are all fundamentalists. Right. They have to be, and that and and that is almost the defining, or one of the defining factors of what makes something a cult, is that everybody within it is a fundamentalist. They are one hundred percent committed to the 
one way, the one word, the one truth, the one leader. And that is Scientology. It is an organization of fundamentalists. You can't yeah, I, be you can't be anything but a fundamentalist and a Scientologist. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. The only uh, modification is is that I would take out the word committed because it uh, connotes uh, an element of choice and replace it with obedient uh, because that is what makes a cult member is is that as a person who's indiscriminately and uncondition unconditionally obedient uh, to the commands of a single leader who claims uh, to have some connection with with God exclusive connection with God or some uh, superhuman source of, of moral authority. And that's what, that's what makes them scary is that they have mm -hmm. no independent judgment and they're, they're completely obedient. And if they're instructed that somebody uh, is a suppressive person or somebody is evil, uh, then by definition, that person's an enemy and has got to be eliminated. You're exactly right. And that, that's Scientology to a T and that is what fair game is. Yeah. We talked a bit about the Molko decision, which was Ford's like seminal case about brainwashing. And that decision uh, stands to this day. And, you know, we've talked a bit about how, uh, you know, Eric Lieberman and Scientology have done a lot of work to sort of undermine some right. of the, the principles that are contained in there. Yeah. But there is also the one that I mentioned uh, from the Wallersheim case where they talk about, you know, you can't tell us that a court couldn't couldn't be sitting in judgment of people who were tortured in the Inquisition because right. that's a religious practice. Right. And then we had another one that 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 was a very significant decision. And Ford talked about this in the context of Wallersheim, in yeah. fact, and collecting on the judgment. But there is a, actually a more important case called the Church of Spiritual Technology v. IRS Commissioner, where the Church of Spiritual Te Technology sued to get tax-exempt status and was denied by the federal court and upheld on appeal. And that decision came out just uh, right before the IRS granted Church of Spiritual Technology tax-exempt status. Um, and within that, they say that uh, this is where a court really passed judgment on the Sea Org being the control, the, they call it a deceptus visus, a, a, an effort to cover up what really is going on. And they say, all this corporate stuff in Scientology, hey, the real control in Scientology is the C organization. Mm -hmm. And if courts would understand that, and they would understand that, that, you know, a committee of evidence is akin to the Spanish Inquisition in mm -hmm. Scientology terms, yes. and they would understand that you can, in fact, brainwash someone to give up their free will and yes. do things that they wouldn't do if they were in their right minds. Yeah. Those things are important, and those are the things that are lacking in these ongoing cases right now where people are seeking justice for being right. abused left, right, and center, and are being told, go back to <laughs> go your back abusers. to Scientology, and they'll, they'll help you out some more. 
They, they've abused the fuck out of you already, and they'll do it a little more with our blessing. So, you know, be happy that we have such a terrific justice system here in the United States. Well, Mike, you know, the thing really is, is, is it's, it's not so much courts, but it's the lawyers. Right. You know, Agreed, it's the lawyers. They're, they have to take the time to learn Scientology. Ford, they don't want to. They think they know everything. And as somebody who was trying to talk to these lawyers, and uh, I could tell you, they cut you off. I'm like, you don't understand Scientology. I get that you understand law, but you can you fucking listen to your clients? And they won't listen, Ford. Well, that's why they're getting their asses kicked. Exactly. You know, I mean, what so so the law is comprised of a couple of things at, at least. You know, one are the are the principles of law, and that's what the lawyers, you know, think they know, but they probably don't because that's why law is called the practice of law. You never really get it right. Right. But more importantly, <laughs> those principles are applied to facts. And right. unless you get the facts right, uh the the principles are gonna be off. And right. that's the problem. I mean, it's really hard learning Scientology. And, and it, I mean, it, it can, tw it can twist your brain uh, yes. reading that, that Scientology crap for hours on end day after day. And, and, and not just reading it, but using your mind to think through actually, what does this really mean? And how does this fit into the overall picture and organizing it? Uh, it it's, uh, it, it's very trying and, and very taxing. And once you do it, then, then you can go into to a court like I did for Wallersheim and argue, uh, argue to the judge. Listen, judge, you know they're giving you this crap about uh, ecclesiastical uh, deference, and you have to defer to the ecclesiastical decisions uh, of the so-called church. Just suspend belief for a second, and and say you were dealing with the mafia, and and say that David Miscavige was a mafia boss. Wouldn't you want to know the means of communication that the boss is giving in order to effectuate his orders for the right. destruction of his right. enemies? Yes. And, you know, it, it absolutely worked. And, but, um, Mike, who's the, uh, who was the German guy who was high up? Um, or he had kind of a German accent. Kurt Weiland? Um, Weiland, Kurt Weiland. Yeah, I'll never forget after I made that argument and and convinced the judge to to, to let us put on proof uh, that the Sea Org ran Scientology on in the Wallersheim case. Wyland came up to me afterwards, so pissed off and upset, and he said, "I can't believe you know you you would compare David Miscavige to a mafia boss, but that's exactly what he is. He's he's a complete thug. So, but the only reason I was able to do that." was because I had, I had so much knowledge of all of the uh, policy letters uh, and all of the executive directives, and then also experience in Scientology litigation and the, the witnesses that Scientology was relying on, Vicki Asneran being the primary one that, who had been my client, who had sold me out, that Scientology had bought out, and who completely reversed sworn positions that she had taken in the litigation where I represented her, you know, I had all that stuff and was able to present it to the court and, and all of her declarations and her deposition testimony uh, to show that actually what she was saying now 
uh, against Wallerstein was that completely at odds with what she had testified to when uh, she was before Scientology had had bought her off. Uh, but if if the lawyers aren't willing to take the time to do their homework, the results they get are going to reflect that. And that's what's sad because right. people who have been deeply, deeply, yes. grievously wounded, yes. heinously wounded by horrible Scientology conduct are going without justice. And right. that's because you have lazy lawyers. And that that's really where the blame lies is with lazy lawyers, not with the courts, at least initially. Agreed. The only thing of any interest to cover is applying this entire conversation to our current national political landscape. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, that, that, well, that's a, well, you know, you know here's the thing. What just happened in Washington, D.C. last Wednesday yeah. uh, with the invasion of the, of the Capitol. It's, it's taking all of these principles that we're talking about and uh, applying them in a much larger context. I mean, Scientology is definitely scary and evil, but the scale of its operation pales in comparison to what we're having to confront uh, on a national basis now. And I, I don't think people, uh, I don't think they're aware. I don't think they're aware of uh, how, uh, what, what a, a narcissistic leader really means. Right. Uh, people have the expectation that a narcissistic leader or uh, his followers ultimately uh, are are human, and at some point they're going to manifest uh, human sensibilities when that's flatly just not true, and and that's part of of you know that that's really what a cult is. Right. Uh, so anyway, that, that that that's probably beyond the scope of of this interview, uh, but it it certainly applies. And I and I guess what I would would add, Lee, is that. Um, Scientology wrote the book on opposition research 40 years ago. They wrote the book. You know, you go and you investigate a person's background right. and you find out all the dirt that you, you can. You find out where they're half a bubble off on a loan application that's been signed under penalty of perjury. And, and then you can take that and you can use it to leverage somebody who is attacking Scientology into a position of, of being ineffective. They'll go away by the threat of, of, of being exposed. And now uh, those kinds of, of tactics and, and techniques of opposition research have are mainstream. Right. They're, they're, everybody's using them, but, but Scientology, they led. They're the ones that invented it uh, in the application of fair game and the application of attack the attacker and those right. other policies uh, that Scientologists take as, as gospel and use, you know, in the old days, Eugene Ingram and now whomever the, the new um, persons are that are in that position. I guess the other thing that I, I would point out um, is... Uh, what was that? the The first movie on a John Grisham book, The Firm, right? About mm. how you had the law firm that, that was run by the private investigators. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the lawyers running the private investigators. It was the private investigators running the lawyers. And ironically, Tom Cruise is in that movie, right? Um, <laughs> and so you know, so that 
is a depiction of how Scientology operates. Right. Uh, and, and I, you know, just, I, I guess I, an, another point I would make would, would be um, the uh, expertise and accuracy of the, of the two South Park episodes, mm-hmm. uh, one trapped in the closet, how yeah. in a half an hour, South Park was able to accurately depict the belief system and the ridiculousness of the belief system of, of Scientology. Right. Uh, and then the other one was the, the return of chef uh, right. and, and how, um, so Isaac Hayes, who was a Scientologist, yeah. uh, who was the voice of chef on, on South Park, you know, he, he goes and he becomes involved in a, uh, in an organization of, of pedophiles mm-hmm. and is, is completely brainwashed and indoctrinated in doing that and, and how all his buddies go. And, and recapture him and deprogram him. And I just thought that those two episodes brilliantly and succinctly in a very short period of time were able to describe uh, most of the issues that arise when you're dealing with cults, whether it's Scientology or some other cult, both the indoctrination and obedience and ridiculousness of, of how a, a person uh, is how, how the brainwashing removes a person's capacity to exercise uh, consent and, and, and removes their capacity to, uh, to, to reason and, and to think and supplants uh, that with the ideology of, of the group, uh, how uh, Trapped in the Closet was able to depict that in a half an hour. And then the process of reversing that uh, how the return of, of Chef was able to depict that in a half an hour. And they're both hugely complicated fields, but ultimately they're not that complicated because we're all human and we all, if we're honest, know something about what it means to be weak and something about what it means to be strong and how uh, those two things come together to to lead an independent, uh, full life. So uh, I think those would be my final comments. Well. And, and thank you for those comments. And thank you for once again, saying yes to us. <laughs> uh, oh, what a class. No, no. Yeah. I knew this was going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had you on the aftermath and you were amazing. We just didn't get to, to hear your whole story. or uh, And I wish we heard more from you then, but I'm so glad that we were able to speak to you now. And and uh, we thank you for, thank you for, for well, coming back. I really back appreciate the opportunity to uh, communicate my views on these really important and continuing important matters. Ford, thank you once again. Um, My pleasure. Yes, and thank you all for listening. Until next time. Bye, Mikey. Bye, Lily. (laughs) 